When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs flyer on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Bring me shelter I will not harm you Bring me shelter please Bring me shelter People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees. I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. You're on Refugee Radio this week on 3CR 855am or on 3cr.org.au. We're going to continue listening to episode 4 of The Wait Podcast with part 2. The Wait was recorded in Indonesia and produced on the lands of the Darawal, Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. This episode contains references to suicide. Listen with care. Because of especially immigration raids back in 2014 and 15, so people was really scared. People didn't know that they can actually get out of their homes and be active and do something. But then slowly after they started releasing people from detention and moving them into community housings, and this recently with the closing the detentions policy, it's been much easier for us to go around and communicate with others because we're not scared of necessarily getting detained. The learning centres are 
like community hubs where people can gather together, can learn something and have a sense of community. Even adults can have classes alongside the kids. How do refugees manage to keep these learning centres running? There are so many things that we are not allowed to do in Indonesia, but then our Indonesian friends help us with some of the stuff, like renting out a space to have a learning centre at. The rest of it, really, we just survive on donations. There are long waiting lists of kids trying to get into these learning centers, and even when they get in, they can only have a couple of classes per day. And some of the kids miss out altogether because there is just not enough space at the learning center for everyone. I have four siblings, two brothers and two sisters. I have an older brother with autism because he has special needs and he has some learning difficulties. It is extremely, extremely hard for him to find something to do. And he just comes home sometimes frustrated, shouting and screaming and saying things like, I'm not different, but they, they, they think I'm different and they make fun of me. And we've, we've been trying our best to not make him, to give him this feeling that he is different from other people. But the thing is that in the community, providing education for the for the healthy uh, children, you know, it's, it's really difficult. M- knows, you know, providing a safe haven for, for refugees with um, special needs, it's on a whole new level. Uh, I'm not giving up and I'm not saying that's impossible, but uh, it's very difficult. Of course, every, everybody deals with these problems differently. Some people try to be more resilient, but if this affects you negatively, it's not your fault. My older sister, she used to be the most active member of our family. She tried her best for the first three years to do so much to help the people around her to do what she can in this situation. But unfortunately, all the negativity going around her life and the uncertainty of not having a future finally caught up to her. And uh, in 2017, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She was coming up with these scenarios in her own head. It was all, you know, revolving around being a refugee, how to get out of Indonesia, and uh, sending an email to Trump to help her. The, 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 the thoughts didn't make sense. But all of them were about women rights and refugee rights and, you know, getting resettlement. She went through this for a very long time. It was one of the, the most difficult and worst times of my life. As I tried to help her more, she improved. Uh, and you did an amazing job. I saw how you advocated so hard for your sister. If you don't have someone to speak for you, to fight for you, then you really get nothing. And you will just go down and down until, you know, horrible things happen to you. I had to communicate her problem to UNICR. What I heard most of them from the case officers was that they have a hard time believing you and that we <laughs> feel like you're putting on a show just to get resettlement. But at the same time, I don't blame them because other people have been doing that and had been doing that before me. I, I understand that. But just to hear that from my only source of hope, which is UNICR, was very, very, very difficult and very disappointing and very hopeless to hear. You're just, you're just always looking for someone to give you some encouraging words and to tell you that I'm here, you know, just don't worry about it. I'm here. I'm, I will do what I can to help you. Right now, the only people getting resettled through the regular UNHCR channels are people who meet this vulnerability criteria, right? Yeah, and the thing is, it's not very clear on what makes you vulnerable. Is it your financial situation? Or is it like your mental or psychological state? What makes you vulnerable exactly? Making people claw their way, you know, make them claw their way out of this. They're like, they feel like in a hole and they have to do everything that's possible to get out. Yeah, to get out. 
thing. It's such a judgmental system to see that people are in this competition just because the system is so judgmental. I wish the system could be fixed. I feel like I was going crazy because so much was going on in my life. My sister, listening to her problems, you know, uh, helping my mom, so doesn't she, she doesn't get affected by all of this. Uh, my siblings had to take care of them as well. And then I was also taking care of my autistic brother. And it was just so much. And I was just, I, I was feeling that I'm losing it. In Iran, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, my family, we've been uh, through a lot. And uh, I lost my dad a few years ago. So uh, uh, when I was 15 or 16, I was very bitter and I was uh, feeling I didn't deserve uh, all of these negative things happening in my life. But um, as time went on and I went through more hardships and I met more inspiring people, uh, such as Mojgan and other people, I just realized that these difficulties just uh, make you a better person. They're not something to be sad about. They just give you something to strive for and to work hard for. So I feel less than a human. I don't feel normal anymore. Over the years that I've spent here, I started to see that we can't really rely on UNHCR or other organizations for what we needed, whether it was resettlement or anything else. So I started getting involved in the community. I started learning skills, learning legal aid skills to be able to help refugees. I went to interpretation trainings to also be able to help in some ways. And after all, I started my own NGO. I first met you at the launch of your NGO, actually, and I still have a really clear image of that day. It was in this North Jakartan Chinese restaurant. There was all of these kind of professionals and refugee communities gathered around. You were looking very posh, wearing a white dress and these matching heels, and you got up and made a speech that just blew everybody out of the water. <laughs> and the other things are like, some people are saying real refugees don't live in apartments. I'm like, what? Is there a real state refugee? So what does RAIC do? We rely on over 100 volunteers to do our work. Most of us are volunteers from the refugee community and some of the professionals are from the Indonesian community. RAIC is mostly focused on sharing information, especially in the legal aid area. But then as we saw the need in the community, we started creating projects to respond to the needs of the community, especially their basic needs like hygiene kits, food programs. We decided to provide dental care clinics for refugees and also eye clinics because nobody else is really checking people's eyes for free. We finally had our first dental care program, which went amazing. You sent me this audio diary at the time. There was a team of dentists that uh, flew from Surabaya, which is another city in Indonesia, and we treated 52 refugees, fillings, extractions, and scalings. And I prepared evaluation questionnaires for all the patients to fill out after their treatments. And everybody was happy. Like, looking at those comments, it just makes my heart happy. And I was crying reading them. I mean, we care about our community and it's really valuable for them that another refugee is trying so hard to do it and I feel really appreciated. When you do these clinics, Mojgan, you're looking directly at the need in your community and that need is vast. How do you handle that? I do feel overwhelmed by it, like waking up to messages and calls every morning, people requesting more and more and seeing how big 
how massive the need is and we obviously can't respond to all of it. So I guess that's the downside. But RAC is the thing that gets me out of the bed every day. Maybe the view is good, but... Mm. After we'd met Mehdi and Elena, I was really curious about your relationship to faith. So back at your apartment in Jakarta, we recorded this conversation. In Iran, I felt so much under pressure of religion because religion is mixed into every aspect of Iranians' lives. Like you have to wear things a certain way and you have to behave a certain way. You can't listen to music outside. I found it really too conservative and limiting. I was just not a religious person. I never cared about it because I was having a good life. It was fine and I was young. So when I came to Indonesia, our whole life was changed completely and we were all of a sudden stranded in a place where it was just me and my t-shirt and a pair of shorts after the detention center. So what could I hang on to? So I started going to Bible study classes and going to church constantly. For two years straight, I was leaning so much on faith because that was the only thing that was making me feel better. A few years later, when I started interpreting in legal aid sessions with refugees and heard all their stories and all the horrible, horrible experiences that they had, there have been people describing their father being beheaded in front of them. I started questioning everything. The thing that struck me the hardest was meeting refugee families with children who were victims of bombings in Afghanistan, children who have been completely healthy and then all of a sudden by one explosion they have been fully paralyzed. And the worst of all is that they are stuck in this limbo, in this situation. No support, no medical care, no nothing. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago going to a family that your NGO, RAIC, was trying to support and seeing one of those kids who'd been hit in a bomb blast um, in Afghanistan and he was completely paralysed and I think he had an intellectual, like a brain injury as well. In a tiny, tiny place, he couldn't move, he couldn't get up. He was wearing diapers and it was a struggle for the family to get diapers because they're expensive and to change them because it's physically demanding and that was a really hard scene to see. That kid was the reason I lost my faith. When I saw him in that state and heard the story that he was one of the top students but now he can't talk, he can't eat solid food and he's screaming all day long and he has seizures like twice or three times a day, even with medication. And those medicines are so expensive that it's hard for him to provide them. And that I was something that I could not accept. If there is something in this universe, if there is a God, then that God should have control over something like this. Like these children are innocent. Seeing those things, I couldn't pray any longer. I couldn't find peace anymore. And I was kind of in in an argument with God because I thought it's a lie before I had something to hang on to but now I don't have that instead of that I have this frustration there's nothing else it's just me and I have to fight
Let's see how smart you are, Bella. Wait. Where is it? She can find it. There is something else that's pulling you through as well, Ramosh Gun. Yeah, it's my little fairy friend, Bella. She's a little bundle of white fluffy joy. Definitely. She's attached to me all the time, all day, every day. <laughs> when I work, when I sleep, when I go to the bathroom, <laughs> at all situations. I'll come back soon. Let's go. I got Bella two and a half years ago when I was really suffering with my mental health. I had never touched a dog before. I was scared of dogs, so... <laughs> well, to me, she just looks like a yappy little thing, but she seems to bring you a lot of joy. <laughs> Getting Bella was the best decision I could have ever made in my life. Even if I'm crying, she, she makes me laugh because she's that cute. In some ways, she's similar to me. Her personality is very similar with myself. In what way? She requires a lot of attention, like I do. <laughs> she's a spoiled little princess. <laughs> <laughs> not smart. Bella not smart enough, yeah? Bella is not genius? No. Or Bella is genius? She's not. No. And there's another piece of good news. Since we recorded that interview with Abdullah, he and his family have been resettled to Canada, some of the very few to get resettled on vulnerability grounds. This is Abdullah from Vancouver, Canada. Canada is a beautiful country. So I definitely feel very, very lucky and very fortunate to be here. You've been listening to The Wait. I'm Ojgan Muarafizadeh. I'm Nicole Kirby. Next episode, our season finale, we look to the future. This is Indonesian flag. We respect it. Mm. You have the Indonesian flag um, pasted to your wall. So when I see this flag, it's, it's the place that I feel at peace. Until I was born, I never know what the kind of peace. I think the bomb car killing the people, the life is like that. But when I arrived in Indonesia, I realized this is the real peace. The Wait was written and produced by Nicole Kirby and co-hosted by me, Moshgan Marafizadeh. Michael Green is the co-writer and supervising producer. Sound design and mixing by Beck Fari. The Wait was produced in conjunction with The Guardian and first aired on their Full Story News podcast with editorial support from Miles Martignoni at The Guardian Australia. Support for this project was provided by the Walkley Public Fund and the Judith Nielsen Institute Freelance Grant for Asian Journalism. A big thank you to everyone who shared their story for this series. And thanks also to Tessa Rex, Jem Rommel, Trish Cameron, Andre Dow, Patrick Tumeau and Ben Doherty. Theme music by Emma Davis. Thanks for listening to this series. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or review. There are also photos, videos, and more information on our website, theweightpodcast.com. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. So we've just finished episode four of the Wait podcast, which is about refugees who are stuck in Indonesia and have been for many years. We're going to finish up with a song about those who don't have visas or also known as papers. This song is by Double Mix with No Man's 
No Man's Dub. We'll be listening to episode 5 next week. Thanks for listening. de l'immigré et des problèmes qu'il pose tient au fait qu'il incarne toutes les formes de domination possibles. Il est tout à la fois l'ouvrier, le colonisé, le délinquant, l'aliéné mental, le chômeur, etc. C'est pas pour ici. Bah, c'est quelqu'un qui a aucun droit en France. pas le droit de rester sur le territoire français, j'ai pas le droit de, de faire mes études. Le salaire aussi c'est pas fixe, des fois on nous donne 300 euros, 400 euros, et une dame même elle, elle a déjà reçu une fois 200 euros comme ça. irrégulière, sachant que même si je me plains, que ça va, ça, ça n'ira nulle part, ça sera leur parole contre la mienne. Ils sont en train de nous exploiter, c'est tout, c'est des exploitations. Je parle de l'exploitation, c'est des exploitations. Mais ils savent qu'on n'a pas de papiers.
our government has subjected people seeking asylum to torturous conditions. The Minister for Home Affairs was supposed to care for them, but instead they suffered enormous physical and psychological harm. Now, those refugees are fighting for accountability and justice. On their behalf, the National Justice Project is taking legal action against the government for negligence and for breaching their duty of care. To support 50 asylum seekers in their fight for justice against the Minister for Home Affairs, please donate at justice.org.au. The National Justice Project is a 3CR supporter. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR.